Hello, friends. This is Pastor Creighton. Thank you for tuning in to New Song Church's sermon podcast. At New Song Church, we want to see Jesus lifted high in Port Perry, Ontario, as we worship, grow, and serve. You can learn more about us and find contact info at newsongportperry.ca. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, And lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Come, let us adore him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for the greatest gift ever given. We pray we would make room in our hearts to receive him even now, full of grace and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So a young family goes out uh, for a walk on Christmas Day, as is their habit, 
in the nearby wood. And uh, their oldest son, he's, he's young, he's precocious. And the second they hit the trail, he takes off. And he winds the corner and he runs into the heart of the forest. And he finds the tallest tree that he can find. And he starts climbing. And this fellow climbs higher and higher until he's up close to the top. And his foot slips. And he begins to tumble. He begins to plummet. And as he's plummeting, he does probably what a lot of us, that would be in our instinct, he starts to pray. He's not in the custom of praying, but here he is praying. So he says, Lord, I'm in trouble here. Please save me. If you save me, I promise I'll be nice to my sister for the rest of the year. Okay, for the rest of next year too. And still he plummets. Okay, Lord, I, I know I wasn't, you know, the best kid in church today. And so I promise I'll be good next Christmas Sunday. And still he plummets. Okay, every Sunday. I'll be good every Sunday. And still he falls. And now the ground is getting worryingly close. And he says, Lord, let me know whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. Just save me. From certain doom, and just as he concludes this prayer, doesn't a branch snag his trousers, and he's rescued, dangling a foot above the ground, and he's stunned. Says out loud, Never mind, God, the branch got me. <laughs> I love that joke. I've probably shared it once or twice. I love that joke because to some degree I, I relate to this young boy. Maybe we can relate to this young boy. We know what it's like when we lose our footing in life and we feel like we're plummeting. And we feel desperate enough to lob up whatever prayer it's going to take to get God to bring us to a sense of security again. We can make big promises along the way, can't we? But maybe we chuckle too. I, I mean, I love this joke because... Here's the obvious instrument of God's salvation for this young boy, this branch that catches his, his pant leg. But he doesn't recognize this as a gift, does he? I mean, we can laugh because we understand that the Bible gives us maybe a little bit more of a sophisticated understanding of God's providential work than this young boy understands. God's providence is his gracious outworking in Christ, realizing his sovereign, saving promises in real history, in real time. It's God at work in the world that we live in, realizing his promises, his purposes, and his plans for us. Our God is a providential God. Luke 2 is a witness to God's providential work. In the world. And I especially want to zoom in tonight on verses 1 to 7. The Christmas story tells us the good news of God's providential work in the world that we live in, in our world too, in our individual lives, in, our, in the minutia we might say of life, but also in our hardships. God is at work in all of these ways, fulfilling his sovereign, saving purposes plans, and promises. So I'd like to encourage you to take out your order of service, take out your Bible. Let's open up to Luke chapter 2. Let's spend a, some time with the first seven verses of Luke 2. Let's look at the good news 
of God's providential work in our world. God works providentially. Let's look at uh, the first three verses here. Some stories begin uh, once upon a time. We've probably all heard a story like that, once upon a time. What does that signal to us when we hear that as an intro to a story? Signals it's a fairy tale of some sort, right? And fairy tales are wonderful things. We would do well to listen to more fairy tales, I think. But it does signal to us that the story we're about here doesn't take place in what we understand as history, in the world that we live in. It has an implication for it, sure, but it doesn't take place in real history. Luke begins this narrative, he begins the Christmas story with quite the opposite to Once Upon a Time. He begins in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Canerius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Luke wants us to understand that the story he relates to us of Christ's birth is real history. This doesn't take place in a land far, far away, in a galaxy far, far away, pardon me. It takes place in the world that we live in, with real people recognizable people for Luke's audience, Caesar Augustus and Canerius. Boy, there's a lot I could say about Caesar Augustus. He was the, he was the first Roman emperor. He was, uh, Rome up until him had been a, a republic, but now here he is ruling as emperor. The title he gives himself is, is Dominus et Deus, which means Lord and God. That's how he understands himself. That's how he expects his citizens and his subjects to relate to him. So you can imagine why it's so unacceptable to the Roman government decades later when Christians say, no, Jesus is our Dominus et Deus, our Lord and our God. So here's a a tyrant, here's a governor, Canerius. Uh, If you've got a footnote in your Bible, maybe you can follow that footnote and it might suggest an alternate reading, something like this is the, the first uh, registration before Canerius was, was uh, governor. I'm a little favorable to that myself, but one way or another, it really doesn't matter. Luke's point stays the same. His point is that this story takes place in, in the world we live in, in the real world, in real creation, in real history and time. God works his providence towards his sovereign saving promises, not in a fantasy world, not far off and away, but he works them out in the world that we live in. He's moving things towards his purpose, and his purpose becomes clearer and clearer as we go. Verses 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. So Caesar Augustus has issued this registration, this decree, it's a census. It's, it's meant to tax Roman citizens properly, and it requires every Roman citizen to go to the place of their birth. Bureaucracy really is the introduction to this story of all things. Here's Joseph heading back to his hometown from Nazareth, where he's living and working as, as a carpenter, I take it. He's going back to Bethlehem with his betrothed, with Mary, who we learn is with child. There's a few things that Luke expects to be ringing in our ears. Maybe they're ringing in our ears right now. There's more going on here than just pure government bureaucracy. God is moving his purposes forward in history. In the big picture, yes, with Roman emperors and governors. But here, 
God's providence becomes clear in the life of this family with these individuals. Were it not for this census being taken, Joseph wouldn't have been going to Bethlehem. He would have stayed in Nazareth. If Mary weren't betrothed to Joseph, she wouldn't be going along with him. But God is ready to honor his sovereign saving promises that he's delivered centuries before through the prophets. We know that the Savior of the world has been promised, the one who will rescue God's people from sin, from death, and restore friendship and fellowship with God and inaugurate the kingdom. And this sovereign Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem, the prophet Micah says. Well, that's interesting because that's where Joseph and Mary are going. And this sovereign Savior is going to be of the royal line of David. He's going to reign on the throne that God promised David forever. Well, that's interesting because the prophet Jeremiah says, or well, that's what the prophet Jeremiah promises. Right here, Luke is saying that Joseph is of the royal line of David. David is one of his ancestors. And the child that Joseph raise, raises will be counted as an heir to David. Well, here he's with Mary, his betrothed, who Luke 1 has already confirmed for us is the fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah says, that a virgin will be with child. She is bearing the savior of the world as they travel across the country. Luke wants us to know something very important, that the same God who works in the huge gears of history with emperors and empires and bureaucracy and everything that goes with that is the same God who's working his providential promises with individuals in our lives. And I do think in our lives as well. We might just think, well, this is a pretty important family. Of course, God has a special eye on them. And I suppose that's true. This is an important family. One of the things Jesus teaches his disciples is that God has, God pays attention to the birds themselves He feeds them. He cares for them. He knows when a sparrow falls. How much more valuable, he asks, are you than birds? The providential care that God has for Mary and Joseph is incredible, yes, but it's the same providential care that God has for you and for me. He loves us enough to care for us, to meet our needs, to move his purposes and plans for our lives forward. God is doing that in a remarkable way, yes, for the sake of the world through Mary and Joseph, but his compassion, his providential compassion is for us too. But God's providence is not just for uh, when life is going the way it's supposed to, when we're heading in the right direction. It's God's providence is there in the trials and tribulations and the hardships of life as well. I think that's what Luke suggests in verse 6 and 7. While Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem, Luke says, the time came for her to give birth. When she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapping him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, there was no place for them in the inn. The time had come for Mary to give birth. That has to be stressful, don't you think? They're across the country. Oddly enough, they can't stay with Joseph's relatives. It seems to me he'd have relatives in Bethlehem. They've shut their door on him, so it seems. And I wonder why that is. I mean, what we know from the New Testament is Nazareth has a pretty bad reputation. It's the town you don't want to go to. Maybe that's the case. But maybe Joseph shows up with Mary, his betrothed, not yet married, and she is nine months pregnant. 
And maybe assumptions get made. And maybe doors get closed. One way or the other, they're, they're in a hard spot. There's not even a place left for them in the inn. But they find a place to stay. The Holy Family spends their first night together where? In a stable. God has worked in the grand tapestry of the world, in this family, to bring them to this exact spot, to this stable, to lay this child in this manger so that his birth can be announced to lowly shepherds keeping their flocks nearby. God works his providence in the world and in our world. Even in our hardships, he moves his plans and purposes and promises forward. So Creighton, that's pretty neat. God can take who he wants and put them where he wants when he wants them to be there. That's nifty. I think UPS does something similar. (laughs) I'm not hearing good news of great joy. I think there's good news to be found here, friends. I would submit that there's one word in particular that unlocks this good news like a key. And the word is in verse 7. The word is manger. This child is laid in a manger. A manger suggests, I think, at least two things. I think it suggests that God works providentially in the big and the small to enter into our world. Who is it again that God announces this birth to? Shepherds keeping their flocks nearby. God invites the lowly to come behold the Savior King. He's not born into Caesar Augustus's palace. He's born to where the meek and the lowly and the forgotten are. God has a heart for these meek and lowly and forgotten people who belong to him. He brings to them their king. This is the humility of Christ. This is the humility that Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2, that he, he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he took the form of a servant, a servant who went as far as the cross for our sake. It's the humility of entering into the world and lying in a manger that brings this Savior to the cross and to be raised again to new life for our sake. God is willing to go to any length to enter in, not to say you have to be good enough to enter into my world. You have to make promises good enough for me to take you seriously, you know, like a little boy falling off a tree. No, I'm humble enough to enter into your world into its lowliness, into the overlooked places. That's the providential care that God has for you and I. And the manger tells us that. The manger tells us another thing, I think, too, and that's this. God works providentially to supply our greatest need. What is a manger, by the way? Not a rhetorical question. What's a manger? It's a feeding trough. That's exactly right. It's where God's lowly creatures go to eat their supper so that they can have life, right? Jesus is laid in a manger. And where's the manger? It's in Bethlehem. Do you know what Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. It's exactly right. 
Here this child is laid in a feeding trough in a town called House of Bread. Is it an accident then that Jesus tells his disciples that I am the bread of life? That he invites them to come to him by faith? That he will never cast them out? That the Father will raise them up on the last day? If they abide in him by faith, this bread of life? In the house of bread... The bread of life is laid in a feeding trough for God's lowly creatures to come by faith and have life. That's good news for you and I. This is the God who enters in. The God who gives himself completely for our sake and invites us to come by faith and feast in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Friends, that's the promise of the Lord's table. We come to eat the bread of life by faith to be one to abide in Christ given for us on Christmas. I think it's so appropriate we come to the Lord's table to behold this bread of life once again by faith. He invites us to come even still. Wherever we are, maybe we're tumbling through life right now. He invites us to come like lowly shepherds, to behold him once again, given for us, the bread of life that we need, the wellspring of life that spills over into eternal life and renewed friendship with God forever in his kingdom. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Come, let us adore him. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We worship a generous God who calls us to follow him in giving willfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially. New Song Church's mission and ministry is 100% funded by the generous gifts of those worshiping and journeying with us. If you'd like to offer a gift towards New Song's ministry, please visit newsongportperry.ca slash giving for more information on how to do that. May God bless you and keep you today and every day.